This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Western Hunting of Podcast. It's that time to be planning, if you haven't already. Uh, it's definitely for Wyoming, Arizona. Those states have come and gone for application season, but it's time to be planning for the next seasons and what you're going to be doing so i am in kind of a funk with that i uh, don't know really where i'm going got somewhat of a plan but just kind of is going to evolve through the application series season and i i feel like that's kind of the the way i usually do it uh but i've got backup plans and can fill a season with more things than i will have time to do so that's that's kind of the route i'm taking but we are, we all should be working on our off-season shape as well. Um, Jiu-jitsu is, is my route this go-around this year on top of just went on my first shed hunt of the year. Just a little walk, a couple mile walk with my youngest and loved hearing him chirp in my ear. That was one of my favorite things about a one to three-year-old is having him just chirp in your ear talking while you got him on your backpack. Kind of fun. Uh, lion hunting has been real rough this year in South Dakota. We just haven't had any snow. So it's been a very difficult hunt. Um, my tag's going to just burn, I guess. I'm not going to use it, but that's, that's another great way to make sure you're working on your off season shape. Next, I am working on hiring somebody, um, hiring somebody for nothing, which is going to be a tall order. And I know, uh, that if something doesn't pay anything, then nobody's going to really want to do it, but I'm doing this and I'm not getting paid. I actually pay a little bit of money after what I make doing this after all the gear and, and monthly services and all that stuff. So, uh, we're going to be looking for somebody to help with organized episodes and communication and, uh, all kinds of different things there. There's some opportunities that I think someone could really enjoy growing something with me. Um, uh, but I'm going to be super picky and who I'm, who I'm going to work with. So I'm going to work on that, see who would be interested in working together. 
and creating a, creating a bigger, better podcast with me. So the, uh, wolf stuff is almost, is definitely old news now, but the, the comments are making me think about just, it's too late to be having the kind of comments that are, that are being thrown around. Uh, I hunt Colorado, that old Facebook page, man, that's all it is. It's like a wolf sighting, wolf bashing pod or Facebook page and not so much a cool sharing of outdoor Colorado hunting stuff anymore, but there's a, there's good reason though, to be upset, but there's a lot of, and because I think there's a lot of shady, dirty, secretive stuff along with, um, holding Colorado parks and wildlife and the voters accountable for the wolf release seems to be some just weird ways of going about it. Commissioners not hearing about release, certain commissioners not hearing about the release and where it is until they saw it on social media, that sort of thing is uh pretty shady. And I don't really like how some of that's happening uh, on top of the whole situation as well. But um, well, it's too late really for any of this, but what we can do is what Colorado's Coloradans and other hunters need to do is focus on the next attack. Um, but also hold Colorado parks and wildlife accountable for this wolf release and what they're doing with it. They need to be sticking to the plan and they need to be also keeping landowners and livestock producers in mind. But, um, as far as that, that new attack, we have just hit a very steep portion of the slippery slope. The, the wolf thing is added to it, but it is a steep slippery slope. And, um, the cool thing is there's now some funding and some well backing to, uh, combating what's happening in Colorado with the, uh, trophy hunting removal, they're calling it in a way, the mountain lion, bobcat and lynx ban hunting ban. Uh, but there are a few ways that you can help, uh, Coloradans for res- responsible wildlife management is the organization leading the way you can donate directly to them. Um, you can, if you're a Coloradan voter, you can vote in the right way, which is just the most ridiculous way to do wildlife management, but you can vote and have those conversations, make it aware that this is what's happening. And I used the other day with some Colorado voters that the example of how ridiculous the wolf management was, and they agreed that that was really dumb. They're non-hunters, but they agreed that that was really dumb. And the mountain lion thing is no different. It's the exact same thing. It's, it's as dumb as the wolf release. So make sure that you're having good quality conversations. I did not say how it was dumb, but I talked through it as a, this is a result. This is what's going to happen. Um, and they're in total agreement. So having those good conversations, quality conversations with folks is something that we have to make sure we're doing. Talk about it, but talk about it with respect in a way that uh, can actually do something. Um, the And with that, you have to be careful of the de- deci- divisive talk and support each other in how we hunt and what we hunt. So I think that's very, very important as hunters. Um, you've all heard me complain about certain things too, but um, I'm learning from that. And just like the, the rifle caliber choice, I don't really care. Uh, I also just don't want certain calibers shoved down my throat, but anyway, um, we're going to support each other and how and what we hunt. 
because we're a small family and represent this community really well. So the the seasons are done and I really don't feel super great about the amount of time I spent and I got in the field and I, that had to do with some of my work stuff. Uh, but I had some really great adventures and memorial, memorable hunts over this last fall, but it just is never enough. The previous episodes, they're all connected 181 to 183. There is a bonus, uh, howl episode in there as well. So you'll see that. But, uh, so in these episodes, it's all about R3, which is recruitment mainly, but it also includes retention and reactivation, uh, as those are a part of it as well. Oftentimes reactivation happens the same time, uh, recruitment happens as you're focusing on recruitments. It kind of goes hand in hand on things. It just depends on what that, who that clientele is, but this is a topic that I feel very knowledgeable on, I think, and act on it every single day. It's a reason for this podcast. Uh, It's a reason for my job. Uh, However, I know I've got more to learn and I did from the previous episodes for sure. I've got, I've had on a few folks uh, with firsthand experience to share that experience plus the stories uh, and a little touch of cuteness in there to see what, what's really happening. As always, thanks for listening. You can keep updated on what's new in the podcast on my Instagram, Facebook at Western Hunting Hub. So I brought in uh, a very special little guest. I have a five-year-old here with me today. Uh, he's with me every day, but we did a pretty awesome hunt. And so Ty, this is your very first podcast that is being recorded. You've been pretty excited. Are you excited to be in a podcast? Mm-hmm. Yep. You've been wanting to do a, a, uh, podcast with me for a while, but what hunt did we go on this year? Deer hunt. Yeah. We went on a deer hunt. Uh, what kind of deer? Um, white-tailed deer. Good job. They're white-tailed deer. And tell me about that hunt. What did we do? Um, did we get up super early? Yes. 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 I got up super early. We went for a long drive. Okay. Long drive. Yep, we went for a long drive, and then we did what? We went. Okay, go ahead. Um. So. Um. What was that big thing we went and sat in? A rock. No, no, rock. <laughs> big, big blind. Did we get yeah, a blind? Yep. And what did we see right away? Deer. Yep. We saw lots of deer, didn't we? Yes. Yep. And our friend Lance, what did he do first? Shot the deer. Yeah. He shot, he got two deer first and then it was my turn, wasn't it? Yeah. What happened then? Um, you got some. Yep. I got my two deer. And then what did we do? Um, we had to field dress them. We had to gut them. We had to gut them. Yep, get the stuff out of the their, their bellies and so that we could take them home. And we were able to drive right up to them, so that wasn't a big deal. 
but what was your favorite part of that hunt? Uh, getting the deer. Getting the deer, that's a pretty big deal to you. Did you like getting up early? No. <laughs> no, you didn't? No. Uh, did you like hanging out with your friend? Yes. Yep, you got to hang out with your friend. Um, did you like all the snacks? Yes. You don't have to talk that close to the mic, just right there. Yes. Work. Yeah, we had lots of fun. And would, do you want to go again? Yes. Yeah. Did you say, what did, did you want to do some hunting? Yes. What did you want to hunt? Um, an elk. Oh, you want to go hunt an elk? Yeah. Weren't we talking about maybe doing some turkey this year? Yes. Do you have any answers besides yes? <laughs> Anything to say besides just yes? <laughs> uh, why do you like going hunting with me? Um, cause it's fun. What's so fun about it? Um, cause I get to spend time with my daddy. Oh, that's nice. And what do we get to see cool things? Yes. Like what? Um, birds. Hmm. Um. So. What do you always point out that's on the ground? Deer poop. Yep, all the deer poop and tracks. And what do you point out that's on the trees? Rubs. Yep, the rubs and the scrapes in the ground. Very good. Uh, do you want to be a hunter? Yes. Why? Um, cause it, cause I want to see more animals. And yeah. Cause I want to make some animals out of these. Oh, you want you you want to have some things on the wall? Yes. Like that? Okay. What about eating them? Do you like eating them? Yes. What's your favorite? Bear. Ooh, you like bear? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, do you like the sausage or steak best? Or do you like um, the fish? Or what do you like? Fish. Okay. Yeah. You gobble up all of it. Uh, what else have we done recently? Um, Do we go ice fishing? Yes. Yep. Was that, that a good time? You like ice fishing, don't you? Yeah. What do you like about ice fishing? Um, reeling in the fish. Oh, yeah. And what's the, what things have we got coming up that we're going to do outside here pretty soon? The uh, springtime is coming. What do we do in the spring? Uh, uh shoot some animals. <laughs> like what? Um, I don't, I don't do a lot of it, but maybe some turkey. Okay. Turkey. Would you be interested in going turkey hunting? Uh huh. Yeah. What do we have to do before that, though? Uh. Remember, we after our hunt that day, we came back and we did something outside in the yard. Practice shooting. Yeah, we needed to practice shooting. And in order for you to be able to shoot an animal, we got to spend some time in the yard, right? And do some practice mm -hmm. shooting your, your gun. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you think you could handle a shotgun or a crossbow? Um, yes. Maybe with some practice.
Maybe we'll start with a crossbow, see how that goes. But uh, do you think when you get older, you want to be a hunter? Yes. What What animal would you, what animal do you really, really want to go hunting the most? Peacock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, you're funny. But you've done a bunch of hunts with me, haven't you? You've yeah. gone elk hunting when you were just a little boy. You've gone deer hunting with me every single year. You go shed hunting. You do go do a bunch of different things, don't you? Mm-hmm. And do you always like those trips? Yeah. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. I like them too. They're one of my favorite hunting buddies, you and Colt. So... I think that's the end of the year portion of this podcast, okay? Got any more to say? Uh, About... Thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening. There you go. Okay, why don't you run up and go to bed? Well, there you have it. Pretty short and sweet little answers. Uh, lots of yes. Yes. Um, open-ended questions only don't get so far with a five-year-old, but uh, he he sure um, enjoys going out with me. There's plenty of time when it's just crying, when it's just wanting to eat, and it's a short, abrupt hunt, but uh, you can tell that the takeaway is there, and he enjoys it. So, all right, that little portion with my son was... Um, is a piece of this. Uh, we need to understand first what R3 is, and I'll show, I'll come back to where the youth fit into this. But the Council to Advance the Shooting Sports defines R3 or recruitment, retention, and reactivation as it is a nationwide movement focusing on strategically increasing and diversifying participation in and support for shooting sports, hunting, and angling. So there is a pretty solid model out there that they put together it's called the oram model outdoor recreation adoption model it kind of breaks down each one of those recruitment retention and reactivation just to give you the the organization of this in recruitment you have the first step within that um and steps or maybe it's just bullet points uh, but you have some awareness of something uh in this situation i'll use this as a step one two three uh, an awareness of th something underneath recruitment. Okay. We're aware that uh, archery hunting, archery elk hunting is a thing, or let's just archery deer. Um, that is a thing that is, you hear maybe some, your buddies talking about it. We start that awareness. Then that transfers into a level of interest. There has definitely been a couple of outdoor activities in my lifetime that I said, I'm not jumping into it, not jumping into it. And then later on, here I am jumping into it. So I had that awareness of what it was, but something in there needed to strike that interest. And maybe that was my peers, my friends, whatever it was around me, talking about it, doing it. And then I need to try it. That most, the most recent example of that would be spearfishing. That was one of those that I said, I'm aware of it. Um, not going to jump into it for about a year. I said that because I just don't have the time and energy and money to to do that. So that wasn't going to happen. And then I had a friend suggest, and that sparked the interest. And then someone invited me, and there was a trial period in there. Okay, that is recruitment. So we, we're aware of something. 
we've expressed some interest and we've tried it. Okay. Then from there, it is our decision to continue or how do we continue? Um, and that is the retention part. Do we continue? And the best way to keep people retained is to continue with a little bit of support. And even if that, that is not just taking someone out necessarily, that can be, um, me doing this all on my own. I'm watching YouTube videos. I'm, that is support from said YouTube channel. Um, or I'm continuing it without support. And that's what you're eventually trying to get to. I'm going to eventually run out of YouTube videos. I'm eventually going to run out of, uh, that handholding support of someone showing me, taking me, uh, wanting to hold my hand through it. So I need to get out there and do it on my own. That's what retention is. And after you've, uh, gone through that trial period and recruitment, then you've continued with the learning process and continuing to see if, do I like this? And then we can just somewhere in there, I know it's super gray area. You can say you're a angler, you're a spear fisherman, you're a hunter. And giving a title to that is not important whatsoever, but somewhere in there, you may have a lapse. Uh, maybe you tried it and you had a kid and you stopped doing that for years on end. So the last piece of that is reactivation. So when you've had a lapse in this model, uh, there, there can be some reactivation pieces such as maybe when that kid grows up to be a five-year-old, you now say, I'm going to get back into fishing and we're going to go do some bower fishing for bluegills. That's how you can reactivate yourself or someone else. But again, recruitment, retention, reactivation, Throughout the whole thing, there is continued support, hand-holding, uh, resources that are used, uh, mentorship, uh, many different things like that. So my thought was as to why should we care necessarily about this? Uh, it, it's been a pretty universally accepted model and thing. It's pretty difficult to, to disagree with, but there are some of those out there. Why is this different than past generations? Um, and why should we care that, uh, that people care that the middle 90% think about this? So my thoughts on this is that this is, this is very different than say the, the baby boomers generation where you were a hunter angler or you weren't, and, um, you got into things a little differently. Uh, you kind of grew up it was a part of a lot of households. Uh, there was not a lot of adults getting into hunting, uh, outside of the, uh, what they, outside of their, they weren't just picking that up at 25 years old. Most likely it just was something that was, uh, a part of the, the culture. Well, now it seems to be that some of that's lacking. There's not as much of that cultural. Well, there is plenty of culture, but it's not as much. There's not enough of the families passing that on. So we need to be looking at other ways of recruiting new hunters. Um, and then the other thought I had is that, uh, I having a, I don't care what other people think attitude is not the best. Like I said earlier, we need to support our community by showing representing our community. Well, and there's 5% roughly hunters, anglers, sportsmen, and there is 5% antis. Everybody else is in the middle. So that 90%, we need to be representing ourselves well so that now when it is on a ballot as a mountain lion hunter, 
um, in Colorado, you are not on the chopping block to get your activity removed for, as a possibility, most likely forever from that state. So I have a, I have a pretty strong feelings towards uh, how and why this is important. Bullet pointed those into advocacy. We need to have advocates for our sports, whether they do it or not. Um, I like to have, you, you should all, we should all have friends that know what we're doing and be in support of it. Um, because we've had those conversations and they, they just may not participate in it, but yet they think what we're doing is pretty cool. Maybe someday you'll, you'll take them. Um, that'd be my wife. She's an advocate. She'll vote for the, the things that, uh, we voted on the wolf thing when we were in Colorado. Um, and I told her, don't you dare, <laughs> don't you dare vote for that as a yes. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, the other reason voting, uh, the other, the next reason why we need to be recruiting more people is to have a, a voice. The 5% on the anti side have a very, very loud, strong voice. So we need to be combating that with our strong, strong, loud voice. Next, uh, we need to keep hunting here. Make, make it something that's a thing that can be done for generation and generation to come. We also needed to make sure that that we take care of recruit new hunters and uh, take care of what we have right now because of habitat. We need to make sure that we are needing to be responsible stewards of the land. And uh, if we can keep more hunters putting more money into it, then we're going to increase habitat or maintain the habitat we need. And hunting is one of our best management resources for or dealing with our, the biological side of things. So that is the other reason. Um, if we can't have hunters, we're not going to manage these populations the appropriate way. Uh, and it's just not, not going to work out best for wildlife. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the another conversation that you hear frequently is that we're reduce we've lost hunter numbers. Hunter numbers have gone down, but then you see the trailhead say something different. And so we hear more people are hunting in the west, they're moving this way, they're hunting more seasons. Well, what the heck is it? It's a very difficult thing to to pull up some data that says here's hard numbers. Um but their hunter numbers almost seem to be they're used to better the conversation from what I've noticed. Suddenly the hunter numbers are decreasing when we need it to make it look like uh, we need more hunters and thing, we need things going up in the right 
direction. Um, and then num hunter numbers are going up when we see when that things are working. That's how I've been seeing it in conversation that suddenly hunter numbers are decreasing or they're decreasing based on what our outcome is for the conversation. That doesn't seem right. Or maybe we just don't know exactly. And it's just one of those, not a really solid data set to really understand it. I do think we can agree though, that hunter numbers are increasing in the West. We've seen that. Um, even though they're said to be decreasing, but here's what, what it is and why the data is confusing, confusing hunter numbers are increasing, but decreasing per capita. So that's what I'm seeing and I'm understanding from the data that we are having an increase in hunters, but it is, we are just becoming less and less of a voice per capita, which is not really uh, gaining a whole lot of ground if it is a voting world. So, which it apparently is in, in some of these states. So according to the council to advance hunting and shooting sports, uh, that I, I pulled up some stuff. There's a 2022 special report on hunting and shooting sports that it obviously goes up and down, but there's, there is some from 20, 2001, 2006, 2011, 2016, and 2022, there has been some, a continual increase in the total participants in anglers, hunters, wildlife watchers. Uh, and even if we remove that wildlife watchers, cause people are going to call themselves that as even though they're antis, uh, total anglers has increased. Um, total hunters has never been bigger and I've, and they're, they're, we've probably, and we have started to make a COVID correction already from that 2020 huge increase of anglers, um, 2021, I think they went down a little bit, but then back up to in 2022 and 2023. Uh, but things have, according to all of these numbers by a very reputable organization, we are seeing an increase in hunting, fishing, and other wildlife related activities. So our numbers are going up, but not enough to take care of, uh, the, the, if, if we're looking at a percentage wise, our percentage is still going down. So it depends on how an organization is presenting the data to show what our hunter numbers are doing. So I guess we could say if it is, and I, and this is my understanding of it. I, I'm going to give reasons for reasons for reduced numbers and reasons for increased numbers. Um, the, Reasons for reduced numbers or reduced per capita, I believe is some, a lot of that is resulting because of the lack of acceptance, uh, the lack of opportunities involved. Like Nevada, you have very little opportunity, even as a resident in Nevada, to draw a deer tag. So a lot of those guys are looking outside of the state to, to do some hunting other than small game and all kinds of other good things. Um, there's a lot of cultural changes and maybe this isn't as much of a family thing anymore. Uh, how, how many more small family farms were there back in the, in the last 40 years to compared to now that those small family farms, I heard something the other day, they're slowly being less and less, and that's going to be a part of that. You're going to have a cultural change where you're, you have less of those, those families growing up to become hunters. It is now harder to draw probably in just about every st state harder and harder to draw and without folks doing the research on that, 
they may end up drawing nothing at all. So that is probably one of those things I'm going to say is going to contribute to being a reason for definitely reduced numbers. Uh, and then also there's also more and more looking West and other States, uh, for those easier to get tags. Um, not sure why I put that under the reduced thing, but, um, Colorado, Montana are just those prime examples of places where people are going. I'm going to switch that over to the increased numbers, why it seems that way. And then uh, the other reasons for increased numbers are it's easy. and There's tons of easy information out there. Podcasts like this and ones that are heard a lot more. Those are easy, free information, YouTube, all of that. Uh, awareness of hunts. Having that posted on social media and other places, podcasts, allow that information out there. Like shed hunting probably wasn't a thing before social media uh, by most. And it obviously grew with social media, making that a, oh, you can go do that thing. Oh, that's pretty cool. I'm going to go do that. And there obviously has been people doing that for decades, but uh, many people didn't get into it until they saw things online. The... uh a great example is there's a cool opportunity here on a little reservoir where you can go like right at in the evening and go catch smelt you know, like a five gallon bucket load of smelt is your, is your, uh, your daily bag limit. I think that'd be so cool, but the, nobody knows, not many people know about that, know anything, where to go, how to catch them, that sort of thing, but super fun hunt or fishing trip. Uh, and I look forward to doing that someday. Same thing with the spearing, summer spearing or dark house spearing that has gained all kinds of awareness and, uh, increased in the numbers of people doing that. Uh, and then another one, I think a reason for increased numbers across the West and other spots is not being able to hunt in your home County. Most of the time people a few decades ago would just hunt your County close to home. Now we're traveling and putting that impact elsewhere. So one of my uh, jobs is to recruit new hunters and, and help them through that process. And what I've learned is what is our best use of time, money, and resources. And when you search new hunters or discuss new hunters with anybody, the very first thing out of their mouth or in the Google search, which I did, was youth. Youth, youth, youth. That's all you see and hear. That is the primary primary focus. And I disagree um, with a good chunk of putting all of our focus on youth. I know I just have my kid on, so I wanted to show that I do care about that. But if I'm wanting to increase numbers very effectively, very drastically, then I need to be tar targeting adults ages 18 to 34. That's what research shows. But let's talk about this youth and family before you get upset. So the youth are still the next generation that needs to needs to be taught. Um, and this is how, like the families that have the, the support, that youth that has an, a dad, mom, grandma, grandpa, whoever that does a, that does that activity, my family is a perfect example. It has been passed down from multiple generations of grandpa to dad, to dad, to me, to me, to my kid. And 
we were hunters. That's how that got passed down. That interest was there. Perfect example. Families keep just doing that. That's great. But if that's all we really put a ton of focus in, that's not enough. There has to be a lot more because the families that do that and are successful with it are somewhat addicted to some portion of the outdoors. Some people that do this leisurely may fall off and have that um, lapse in their decision to continue to enjoy the outdoors. So you have to have that family support and the almost addictiveness of, okay, I'm going to drag a three-year-old out in the woods. I'm going to drag an eight-year-old out in the woods. It's a lot of work and you're going to lose participants because it is so much work. Uh, so the, you need to just keep doing that. Keep the family going. That's great and important. Um, I'm going to do the same thing, but it only works with families that have that support. Rarely, but uh, occasionally you do get the, the neighbor, the friend of the family, whatever that takes somebody out. Yes, that happens. Do that. That's great. If you can continue to have support for that, I would almost suggest if that were a starting that mentorship, maybe in that 12, 12 to 15, 16 year old, so that when they become an 18 year old, they can continue on on their own and do that activity. That would be a great, great option. Um, but some of the very young participation may not stick. Uh, and, and I think that's some of the hard truth that, that, that youth, just like in that R3 model has to have continued support. Even as an 18, 19 year old, they've got no money most likely, and they can't access. I remember at that time in 2005, when gas prices were $4 something, and I had a F-150 that got 12, 13 miles a gallon. I could not go very far. And when I did, it just cost me a lot of money messing up the amount of things I got to do. And I know that I would have gotten into a lot more of some different outdoor activities, hunting, fishing related, had those guys gas prices not gone down. I would have traveled more for waterfowl instead of having some crappy little hunts nearby. And uh, I would have traveled more for ice fishing and that sort of thing. But instead, I dealt with the small perch and, and, uh, getting skunked every once in a while. So that's the youth. You got to have continued support. The new adults, new hunters. Um, there is a ton of people out there ages 18 to 34 and older than that. They have a lot of interest in procuring their own food. They're your locavores. Um, they have a means most, most of them. Uh, they have an understanding of costs. They can budget. They Hopefully, um, they can purchase things. They can drive themselves places. So as an 18 to 34-year-old, it is a very solid opportunity to get new hunters involved. And they're the ones that can go to a banquet and spend some money. They're the ones that can donate to uh, the Colorado for Responsible Wildlife Management. So if we were to look at what is our greatest efficiency of increasing hunter numbers, it needs to happen with multiple ways. You know, we have to have our youth taken care of by our hunting families, but then targeting our adults. If we don't have, if you don't have a youth in your life or a way of supporting uh, a youth all the way through the age where they can get going on their own, then I would suggest looking at some of the, your coworkers and friends and those people that are expressing interest and take them out. Um, 
There is a difference, however, in the types of uh, hunts with each one. I, I have noticed I've taken plenty of youth and I've taken a lot of adults out. Uh, and, and that's where some of these opinions come, come about in getting to experience both of them. The, again, families with support are being able to continue on. The families families without support, I've seen that data and it doesn't always work. They got to have some support. Hopefully they come back to it later in life, but that's a big hopefully. There is a huge lapse in time where they may not be able to do anything until they become of age to get out and buy a gun and take care of um, and have a few, a few funds to, to do it. But some of the differences I have seen taking youth versus adults is the adults that are wanting to learn something are loaded with questions that are just really cool questions. They are super engaged, like really engaged. I I will say there is nothing better than watching my kid uh, when I stuck a little dough during archery season with him and his excitement. There was nothing like that. An adult getting excited, I don't care about that. But that kid, it was absolutely exciting. For the feel good, for me and the relationship of my kid, that was that was super rewarding. But for the rewarding feel good for the hunting world and the future of hunting, I take out those adults and, and families. I help to empower those families to get out to do those things. And they include your 12 to 18 year olds. And then also the adults, they're by themselves or as a couple, they have an interest, but they just don't know how to do it. They don't know what gear it's, uh, there's a lot of barriers, the firearms, the access and the know-how of a dead animal on the ground are the three major, major barriers that I've seen. And if you can work through that with somebody, you're going to do some some great things to get people in the field. Some of the best methods I've pinpointed are to get involved with an organization doing mentored hunts. If you're in South Dakota, uh, on the east side or west side, there is an organization called South Dakota Youth Hunters that takes youth out. You can be a mentor to them. That's one. You can get involved in my program. Look up Hunting 101 with the South Dakota Game Fish and Parks where you can uh, become a mentor and take people out hunting and fishing. And it's, that's my program and I love it. And it's awesome. Uh, but the, you, you can get involved. That's one method of, if you don't have anybody, you don't know where to, to connect with. Uh, but for adults, I don't honestly think that's probably the easiest. There's always people asking, become a mentor to them. What I would do though, is set guidelines, set expectations, set rules ahead of time. Say, lay out the expectations of what they're looking for, what you're going to do to help. Um, and otherwise you're going to have, if you're like me and you want to hunt alone, um, but yet you enjoy taking somebody, you should, if you set those expectations that, Hey, let's go out on the hunt. And then my goal for you is to get you going on your own. Not that we are going to be hunting buddies forever. Maybe you are going to be hunting buddies forever, but if you can, uh, get them in and out and, provide that support, you're going to be, you're going to be making a huge difference. So set those guidelines, make your rules, um, be on call for future hunts, but let them know you want them to be able to get out and do it on their own. Be straightforward with how hunting buddies and groups are determined, uh, that 
finding a hunting buddy in a, in a group is, is like dating all over again. And finding the, just because someone likes to hunt doesn't make them a good partner. Just because you hunt make, doesn't mean you're a good partner. Um, but finding that person that is safe, that is going to be ethical, uh, help them get through that or help them get out on their own. So they're going to be safe. But I really, really am supportive that continued support of being on call for that person. If they got a downed elk deer, whatever, uh, for sure. I, I can't think of many people that wouldn't just show up to help you, help you pack that out. Um, and then also make sure you're, even if you don't go on a hunt with someone, you can still be a mentor by spending a lot of pre hunt time and post hunt time with them. And then on the phone with them after debriefing a hunt on their own. Uh, if you go to the range with them, uh, look at maps with them. You don't have to show them any of your own spots and maybe don't at all. Find new spots with that hunter that, uh, they can go and experience, um, and then follow up and support. That's huge. Another important thing when you're taking someone on a hunt is don't do it for them. You need to walk them through it and allow them to fail, allow them to puncture the stomach. If it happens, uh, even though they're, it's going to mess things up, you, they got to learn. Uh, I do very, very little cuts on an animal and I've just got a whole lot of patience. I've got a lot of patience and that's what it takes just to, to take the time, order it, field dress it, whatever you do, get to the point where they feel good about doing it. It's not enough, but at least they've done it and uh, they might be able to get their way through it, but keep it simple. I always tell people that all you're doing is getting the nasty stuff out so it doesn't rot from the inside out. That's all you're doing. And if it means that it comes out in pieces, so be it. You can wash it out. You're going to learn. You're going to get better and better. Don't let that be a barrier. Or all you got to do is take the hide off and cut these four pieces of meat off. That's what you, your, your four quarters, your back straps and your tenderloins. If you can yank those out, it may not be pretty, but again, you'll get better and you'll learn. The next thing I think you should do is introduce it at the right time. And this could be for youth. Um, if you are an adult with a seven-year-old, I think you need to be a lot more careful introducing it to them than if you were an adult, uh, with a family and you introduce it to them at year two, three, four, five, six, seven. What you're doing when you start very early with things is before they even comprehend a whole lot is you're creating a normalcy. It is a normal thing that you have wild game on the table. It is a normal thing that you guys are going for a hike and it, you can normalize a little bit of fatigue by walking, normalize uh, the exhaustion, the being a little cold, being a little hot, being a little sweaty. Those are all important life skills to have and if you can introduce it to them to the right time in the right way. Um, and I think kids could be pretty sensitive in that if you're hitting them in that five years old to 10 or 12 years, heck, 18, um, any time after five years old, I think you got to be very, very careful in making sure it's the right time and you're introducing them very cautiously. All right. So lastly, um, get out there and work with some people, help, Give us some coworkers, uh, start talking and hunting over lunch break, start talking, hunting during lunch or during work. Um, and, and you're going to find plenty of people that, that, uh, Hey, I'd love to go. Hey, I'd love to go. You should take me sometime. That's easy or offer it to 
family members, uh, brother-in-laws, that sort of thing. And if they want to, great. If they don't want to, move on. I've done that with my my brother-in-law. I've offered it. said, hey, would you, I'd take it just so you know. It's on the table. Never I'm not going to bug you about it again. Uh, but he knows that invite's there. And uh, he didn't take me up on it. There's no way I'm going to pressure him into it. It makes no sense. If he's not into it, he's not going to be into it. And uh, you got to find people that are into it. And there's plenty of them out there that are looking for resources to, to be able to figure those things out. So again, I've got my program with the Game Fishing Parks here in South Dakota, South Dakota Youth Hunters. Um, there's another one called Learning Hunt, LearnHunting.org. It's put together by IHEA, which is the uh, International Hunter Education Association, something like that. But that's your hunter education uh, organization that how hunter education is put together across the nation. That's the main organization. So look up learnhunting.org and that's a way of, there's some states that are using that to pair hunters with future mentors. And interesting how they're doing that. i we may have that in South Dakota, you may have that in other states and they're kind of piloting. I think Iowa has something, uh, but it's, it's a new thing might be, uh, worth looking into, but I've got another episode coming up here when it's all about youth opportunities. So that you guys don't think I just hate hunting with youth, uh, but the, I, I am going to find some of those great opportunities across the West and, uh, what States are places to take your youth, Again, get a new hunter out there, whether that is a young person or an old person, whatever. We need it to increase this awareness and attack on hunting across the West and the East. So thanks for listening and appreciate you all. Got a deed to the land, but it ain't my ground. This is God's country.